All right, welcome back to another episode of the Justify Your Existence podcast. Uh, this is your host, Brendan Farrell. I will be joined by my uh, co-host, James Murphy, here in a bit. Um, but for right now, um, you know, with Ole Miss, uh, being, or Ole Miss basketball being undefeated, um, you know, one of, I think, seven teams left in uh, men's college basketball, um, just figured I would get uh, our sort of podcast producer and biggest Ole Miss basketball fan that I know, uh, John Luke McCord on the pod. So, John Luke, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. It probably was the right thing to do to introduce me as a as a fan or apologist, maybe even more um, appropriate because, yeah, obviously I'm excited about the uh, the undefeated start. So so things are, things are all great for me these days. I mean, um, you know, we, we both are in the media, and so your allegiances take a back seat and, frankly, over time maybe even fade. Um, but Ole Miss basketball is one of those things for me. Like, it's it's it stands above um, some of the other things in my life, like the Steelers and the Hornets and, and stuff like that. And so um, I've suffered through a lot, and uh, we're uh, – we're, uh, we're a factor right now, so uh, at least ahead of SEC play. So uh, I, I'm excited, excited to join you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, yes. Yeah, so before we really get too far into this, um, I should mention that um, you can follow me on Twitter at bbarrel727. Uh, John, like, what is your Twitter handle? JL Grinded. That's so, what it was. Yeah. yeah, kind of age there, but uh, that's what it's been since uh, high school. So yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, as always, uh, you can find all of our coverage, including Ole Miss basketball, uh, at djournal.com, and follow us on social at djournalsports. So, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, a big win over UCF over the weekend, and uh, to kind of keep the good times rolling, the, the undefeated record alive. So, uh, and in typical Ole Miss fashion, it seems, this year, they just uh, kind of held on at the end. Yeah, that's that's what they've done, really. Um, they've, I, I guess, it's four, maybe five. I'm pulling up the schedule here, but it's really, I mean, at least four games that the ball has really been in the air uh, or, or come down to that last possession for this team. And um, I mean, look, nine and zero. I think in a vacuum, the, if a team is winning the way Ole Miss is winning, that's what you talk about. You say, hey, look, this is a team that's finding a way. I think if you know if Chris Beard is you know at at you know Providence this year in his return to college basketball which actually didn't have that much of a break um then I think that's what that's what people are saying and and I do think there are those voices out there about about Ole Miss that that say that but uh it seems to be coming with a lot attached to it um and and if you do look at the teams that are undefeated obviously handful of those teams are in the top 25 and are factors but you know Clemson and Ole Miss uh, particularly maybe maybe don't necessarily uh, uh, belong there in that group but Ole Miss has remained they just they keep winning basketball games and you you were there uh, in Oxford the night they beat NC State and really that's the only game I guess if you you could say for for fans like me again I watch a good bit of college basketball love the sport um, so do, ha- I do I am able to contextualize where Ole Miss is at a little bit but um, that's really the only game you could point to and say hey this is how ideally you look at the pieces when they're all firing this team would play um uh, but they haven't always played that way. I think again, outside of just they they're just winning games. Um, you could say, hey, look, 
one thing that is positive for Ole Miss, A, they're, they're defending consistently. Uh, they, they don't turn the basketball over. One thing that made that game on the road against the Big 12 team in UCF so close yesterday is they turned the basketball over. Yeah, they, Ole Miss gives up offensive rebounds. They give up second-chance points. They're not even particularly great. Uh, re- just rebounding overall, they've got to do better in that area. It seems like they've been worse since they were able to get Musa Cisse eligible. Um, but turning the basketball over is what was the difference for Ole Miss on Sunday. That's what they did more uncharacteristically than, than anything else. Uh, typically, that's been a strength of theirs. But um, they get scoring outbursts or, or a leading score from different guys. Obviously, Alan Flanagan, 18 points a game, is a guy that they're hoping can be that kind of guy in SEC play. But Matthew Morrell is a great outside shooter, has the ability to get hot and go for 25 or more. Um, you know, J- Jalen Murray, Juju Murray, has shown a couple of times his ability to get into the mid-20s this year and lead this team in scoring. Frankly, the best this team has looked all year, Jalen Murray was the guy. And I think that's actually been the case in a couple of other games as well. Is when Jalen Murray scores over 20, this team really, really looks good. But uh, at, at times, again, they've had T.J. Caldwell be the guy uh, that, that scores a lot of uh, points for this team. I think – and it different. It, 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 there was a time early in the season. I told you. I think T.J. Caldwell might be their most, um, you know, most um, solid bucket. Like he's a guy that I feel the best about. Maybe when the ball comes up out of his hands, his shot selection all together. Um, obviously, on different nights, though, that's, those are different guys. So I think if there's if there's one thing you could look at as a real positive for this team, they've gotten that leading scoring uh, going. A, a guy I didn't mention a moment ago, Jamin Brakefield. Obviously, he had a big night that night against NC State as well, and probably was. That's that's 25 they don't get every night. Um, so uh, they they really need to get that more of that from Jamin Brakefield if if they want to be one of these these teams that can get in the top 68, and make the dance, really the top 48 or so. Uh, and make the dance but um, right now I'm clinging to you know the voices of Andy Katz who who put Ole Miss at number 20 in his power rankings this morning of NCAA.com more so than some of the numbers uh, based uh, you know people out there like Ken Palm who just don't like this Ole Miss team right now as much because really game control wise this is a team that has not spent um Maybe even a majority, or slightly, just slightly a majority of the of of their games in the lead. Uh, you're talking about games that have eight to twelve lead changes consistently. So, but I will tell you this, and in just concluding this this monologue here off the top, is that one thing I liked looking at Ole Miss last night against a team I think has a better chance than Ole Miss to make the NCAA tournament in UCF is that in that final minute. And again, I know Ole Miss made the terrible inbounds play. They followed it up with an incredible defensive play, uh, which had just had an incredible defensive play before it as well. Um, is in that final minute, you could see a team that had won a lot of close games, was very comfortable playing in the clutch moment, and one team that was not playing at their best. And so that's one thing that if Ole Miss can get in a position to win games in the final four minutes, and Chris Beard talks about that, a lot of coaches do. Andy Kennedy preached this to Ole Miss fans before, uh, you know, back in the day, but um, it's just it, it's just ten four minute segments throughout the game that you have to play, and if Ole Miss can get to that final four minute segment uh, in a lot of games, they're going to have a chance to win games. I mean, even if you look across the SEC, as daunting as it is, um, and there may only be one great team in Kentucky, and I think they're still trying to solidify that that status. So uh, I, I think Ole Miss has got a chance that they can get down into the second half, into the final uh, four minutes with some teams um, because of their experience winning close games. Yeah, I mean, you figure you, you, Chris Beard is the kind of guy you trust in those close late game situations to to get it right. You know, probably I don't know the majority, vast majority of times somewhere in there. So 
more oftentimes at the end of a college basketball game, if you've conditioned your team to be a good defensive team, that's going to win a game. It, 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 look, I don't know the percentages on this, but I guarantee there's more games won with missed shots at the buzzer in college than made shots. I mean, you just it, it, there's only so many guys in college basketball now that the sport has gotten so much younger. In many of the the best, you know, obviously at the top level that we're all you know more. Uh, plugged into uh, it's it's younger than it than it than it was ten years ago and and <laughs> you, you more than likely if you have a good defensive team you're going to be able to get a stop at the buzzer more likely than you're going to have a guy that can step up and consistently hit that shot at the buzzer so uh, again Ole Miss has done that a couple times this year where they they've made that defensive stop at the end so uh, it, that's clearly where Chris Beard wants to base his program on so it's really early to kind of start looking at stuff like this because I don't really think the season starts until conference play. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the sites I like looking at is bracket matrix because, uh, they'll look at a bunch of, you know, bracketology sites and tell you generally where a team is being put, um, and how often they're, you know, making the fake dance. Right. Um, and right now, uh, Ole Miss uh, has been uh, selected uh, in like 14 of the uh, sort of mock brackets that they have found uh, with an average seed rank of like roughly eight and a half. So, and, and you know, always the, that eight, nine spot's always difficult because 99.99% of the time you're getting the, the one seed the next round. But um, yeah, I just kind of thought that was interesting. But um, the uh, computers are maybe a little more uh, bullish on the uh, rebels right now, um, and I think I think this too. Um, I think some of these wins for Ole Miss probably. I mean, you look at it right now. The only win that's doing them any good at this moment, particularly, is Memphis. Um, but I think Ole Miss. And look, this is one. This is this is the one where I've been pushed out to the conspiracy edge, at least at this juncture. I think there are a couple games. On, in the rear view now for Ole Miss that they won that will residually help them a little bit. Um, and, and so, again, I, in Temple and and um, now UCF on the road, um, obviously if either of those teams get inside, stay inside the top 100, those are, those are really, really good wins. NC State's got a chance to be a decent win. Memphis is going to be a great win. Um, they've got a couple left on the schedule I think that could be, could be fair – uh, in Cal and, and Bryant. So, um, but either way, I think residually some of those wins will look a little bit better once teams have full resumes in the leagues they're going to play in versus, you know, 10 games in. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was kind of looking at the uh, Ken Palm rankings for the undefeated teams, and you've got some pretty normal ones like Houston at one, Arizona at two, Baylor at seven. You know, it kind of thins out after that with Oklahoma at 19 and Clemson at 25, and it drops all the way to James Madison at 71. And it's not until 90 that you get to Ole Miss. So there is that. Like when we say, hey, like maybe the computers don't like them as much, like that's. Yeah, but I, I think, look, I think the indictment right there is look, we're all humans. Like we use the computers, we use the numbers, but shouldn't we be smart enough to know when they're incomplete with their reading right now? And, and look, if you want to sleep on, on Porter Mosier and Chris Beard that have gotten their teams at this point undefeated, because Oklahoma. They had a pretty fair win the other day, too, that I think we talk about residual wins. Arkansas, I'm not as high on right now. I thought they'd be a but, – but this roster's got a chance to be better than last year's. So, I mean, uh, a, a little bit deeper, potentially. And so, um, you know, 
Porter Mosier, Chris Beard, I'd bet on those guys in most situations, uh, and, and any familiar with college basketball should know that. And, and so if the numbers are telling me those teams are a little softer right now than, than maybe what you're watching, um, again, I think we have to let the – we. Can, we Looking at numbers 15 to 30 games in is so much different than 5 to 10 games in. It's ridiculous to live and die by the numbers at this point. I'm going to go with good coaches that clearly are able to get their teams bought in. I bet Oklahoma uh, is certainly in the tournament. Uh, Ole Miss, we'll see. We'll see. We'll the see. Uh, sort of joke that we've had around the office since the uh, Alabama State game, um, you know, where Chris Beer comes out and says, yeah, you know, this, is, this game was like, a, like an NCAA tournament game. You know, this is the kind of team you see in like the opening weekend. Um, is that uh, every team Ole Miss has beaten so far as a tournament team, right? I think Ole Miss, I think Chris Beard knows that he is oftentimes in post games speaking on a sport, especially this time of year, that people just are not informed on. And so I think he's trying. To, if you if you hear a lot of his post games, they're all comparative points. Last night, what does he come out and say after UCF win? Felt like a Big Twelve game. Now I will say, in fairness, what fifteen years or so in the Big Twelve, he should know what a Big Twelve game feels like so I'll take his word for it um but I mean, he kind of always likes to have a point of reference after games like that but yes I have had some fun with that in that Ole Miss is only beating into a tournament teams you you kind of ask me after every win the next day like what was I was like Psh, tournament team um I, I am getting a little bit more obviously the confidence level lowering um as we get closer to SEC play but I, so I told you you know UCF border it'd be a, a bubble team there possibly all the other wins are tournament teams but uh possibly a bubble win there but no look again and, and sometimes you have to look Ole Miss I, I will tell you between Alabama State Eastern Washington uh Detroit Mercy and, and really Sam Houston as well those first four games um Again, I'm a freak, so I was watching every minute of those games. Look, those teams are well coached. They've got a chance to be okay. They've got a chance to go win their leagues. Got a chance to win their conference tournaments because they're really well coached. Um, Eastern Washington, in particular, had a had a had a pretty experienced team, young coach there. But again, it's clear Chris Beard went out and created a schedule that was challenging uh, in Ole Miss in in the forms of of teams that were more talented, possibly than you think. Uh, in an Alabama State team that was very active in the transfer portal, uh, teams with good coaching, teams with experience, teams that create matchup problems for them like Sam Houston did. So Chris Beard has actually, I mean, you know, outside of just going and playing ACC, you know, Power 5 exclusively teams uh, and trying to get in some of these preseason, you know, invitationals, things like that, Chris Beard did try to create, you can tell here, a challenging schedule where Ole Miss would have come out of here with you know three or four losses potentially and so again it just speaks to the their ability to win games their battle tested team at the end of close games now too so I think there's there's probably more positive to to pick through with what Ole Miss has done nine and oh than there is negative um look losses are coming I think Ole Miss if they get to eight wins in the league has to be maybe more elated about an eight-win SEC slate than they are a, an undefeated non-con slate, to be honest. Because um, uh, if they can get over that six- or seven-win threshold, then they really do give themselves a chance to to be a tournament team. So, um, I, I, look, the losses are coming. Uh, the first, you know, what, eight, nine games of the SEC slate there are very, very difficult. And if you don't start two and one uh, against against your Florida Gators and Vanderbilt with Tennessee as the, the opener, uh, then then you are going to be in a, in a tough position. So, um, look, I, I think Ole Miss fans 
uh, the reason I would be so high and maybe laughed at uh, within reason is just because, look, Ole Miss basketball has not been this program before. They have not been the team that wins these games, really. They've not been the team that beats an NC State, a Temple, and gives themselves a chance to have a good win uh, down the road in the schedule a lot of times. So um, uh, oftentimes they get in that position. They don't win these games in these early tournaments that earn them uh, a Temple game, uh, stuff like that. And so um, they, they they usually squander chances. This team is, is, is taking advantage. It's easy to look back, and I'm not going to, you know, do it too in detail, but it's easy to look back at some of the faults of the last 10 years of Ole Miss basketball and see that it, it appears they're being righted a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, the big thing for people like you is, you know, enjoy it for right now because, uh, you know, not many seasons start like this, even for even for good programs. But, um, and, you know, I think, really, I think there's potential for Ole Miss to start SEC play or head, or head into SEC play, I should say, uh, with an undefeated record because this upcoming run of Cal, Troy at home, at Southern Miss, and then Bryant at home, super winnable. Um, that being said, I also do agree with you that um, the team that beat uh, Detroit Mercy by one point and Sam Houston by three, um, that probably doesn't bode well for SEC play. But you know, they also didn't have CSA for those games, so I will I will give you that caveat. But I, I will also add that um, I just think Ole Miss is a very strange team because I was looking at you know kind of the Ken Pop numbers again, and they are a one of the slowest teams in the country. They play at a tempo that is 315th in the country, um, and there are like 362 teams in Division One college basketball, and they are also um, 17th or yeah 17th in luck, meaning they're winning a bunch of close games and stuff. So to me, they play slow, so they try to try to minimize the number of possessions, and then, you know, they just kind of have everything break their way so far. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I will say this: it, look, they're one of the things there is they're, they they're not actually tremendous in transition. Um, they've there've been plenty of transition. Um, kind of issues with this team finishing finishing buckets in transition. So it's it's. They do get those transition opportunities off of steals, but outside of steals, you don't see this team really do that. Um, and frankly, um, they're, they're <laughs> when you look at the true point guard situation, it's really just down to, to Juju Murray. I mean, Juju Murray is the one true point guard on the roster, and he's a guy that didn't play that spot at St. Peter's coming in out of the transfer portal. And so um, they did get a, a good minutes from Austin Nunez yesterday um, when, when Murray was um, – in foul trouble, but really you're looking at off guards like Matthew Morrell, like Alan Flanagan at times, uh, T.J. Caldwell at times that are they're having to play the point guard spot. So they they, they are still they, they have good shooters. They have an advantage, like you say, in the half court. Um, some of their athleticism has not led to to being a great transition efficient team. Um, so it's it is easy to see maybe maybe why they're doing that. Um, but again. You know, it's not like this team is counting possessions. I mean, last night, they, you know, a, a game that grinds into the 50s, into the 60s, I mean, it's 
uh, for a while there really had a lot of lulls they they were pretty good they can they can hit buckets when they can go when they go toe to toe again it gets pretty high scoring there because we just get a ton of free throws and a happy whistle I mean outside of the happy whistle that wasn't a high scoring game I mean almost didn't have a ton of field goals in the second half a lot of those points were made at the free throw line but this is a team that's gone in the 70s and 80s and been able to beat teams uh, when it's a slower a slower game slugging it out again they've been able to beat teams they they, they can be clutch in the second half so again they, they've won in a couple of different ways obviously nine and zero. they found a, a couple of different ways to win so I, I do like that this is a team that's going to defend well they're probably going to get better they've gotten a lot better from game one to nine I mean you're talking about a lot of you know close games I mean if they go back and play Eastern Washington Alabama Detroit Mercy now with roles more solidified um, I mean I think things maybe look a little different I mean they certainly haven't picked up losses to Southern University and some of the the hiccups that we've seen other SEC schools have so um, again I like the consistency of what they've been able to do I'd like to see them rebound a little better but I mean I, I can count on the fact they're going to be a team that gets better I mean even despite an injury I think this team would probably continue to get better that's what Chris Beard teams do Chris Beard as you see uh, in last night's game he's going to have a coaching X and O advantage over even some of the best coaches in the league too so um, I think this team's got some things on it on its side that that certainly make you feel good again I think they can get to that six win SEC mark I don't I would I don't know that I would bet on them to overachieve at this point but again I guess as we kind of wrap and, and round out this conversation I know you're going to get into some recruiting and stuff uh, in a little bit but as we round out the basketball conversation around Ole Miss I think we have to also say look um, they got Musa Cisse eligible. Things have maybe turned a little bit with the NCAA and some of those things with, with you know, uh, more eligibility cases being won by players. Um, and there is optimism around the program that, that – um, that they can get Brandon Murray, the Georgetown um, transfer eligible, a guy that had previously been uh, at LSU as well. Um, and look, I, I mean, not to overstate it, but that would change a lot of things for this program expectation-wise. I think it would change a lot of things with some of the projections for the NCAA tournament because you're looking at a guy that, A, adds another body, and, and, and you know whether you want it to shorten your rotation or lengthen your rotation, it gives you that versatility. Um, you're talking about a guy that averaged 13 points a game uh, at Georgetown last year, and they are a score short on this team. Uh, and frankly, just from a fit perspective, Brandon Murray is a guard that gets downhill um, and can run the point. And again, Chris Beard teams are built around guards that like to get downhill and um, – Brandon Murray could really, really raise the ceiling of this team, no question about it. I think they almost would become a, a, a certain NCAA tournament team, and seeding would be more the conversation at that point. But um, e- either way, so I, I think I think there's there's a lot of positives to look for. There's going to be lumps coming SEC play, but I think this team is. If you told me their team that just found a way to eight wins in league play, I don't know that I would be shocked because again they've shown a lot of resolve um, in non-conference play. Yeah, I think uh, to sort of wrap things up, I will. What I will give you is that uh, the two games I was at this year were the Alabama State game and the NC State game, and that Alabama State game was um, probably among the most unwatchable college basketball games I've ever seen. Um, but that NC State game, you started to you, you could see why people would would buy into Ole Miss, and we kind of talked about the tempo thing, and uh, you know, NC State loves to push the tempo a bit. And uh, that game was not played at tempo. I can tell you that. So 
and they took and, they, and it's a team with a, they had a couple of good bigs as well. Um, so I mean that's that's some of the teams you really look at some of the rebounding issues for Ole Miss and and it's some of the stuff I've gone back and looked at is where they play teams that were good in the post. Um, and, and you kind of look back and. and <laughs> Feels like they were fortunate in some cases there. I mean, NC, NC State is almost one of the main cases, even though they, they blew that one out. So, um, look, this is a team – and here's what I would say. Maybe the fan statement of the year, maybe it comes back and, and I look prophetic on this, but I just don't – I will tell you, I, I don't think it's a top half of the team uh, – t- top half of the league SEC team by any means. I just don't think it's a team to be underestimated. I really don't. Uh, and look, if I can transition here on you, Brendan, I don't know if you uh, you know editorialized or produced for this space, but I'd like to take a, at least a minute or so here at the end of this. And I know, again, we didn't prepare for this, but because I've spilled all over Ole Miss here, Mississippi State's a good team as well. I know I, I took a dig that I'm sure people will notice at the Southern loss earlier. And again, Mississippi State is a team that – Seven and two, they got they've got another loss, but that was on the road at a Georgia Tech team that we talked about residual wins earlier would have been one that's nice to have. Um, but again, on the road, it's not going to kill you. But this is a Mississippi State team already. Um, they had a neutral site win over Arizona State. They've they've got a they've got a, a win over Washington State, a win over a Northwestern team that's going to go play a Big Ten schedule, um, and 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 really not a notable, but a. a on Saturday, it's a team that looked like they were on a mission, responding to a loss they knew they shouldn't have had. They come out and they're up, what, 62-34 at halftime. They go over a hundo play, mostly backups in the second half. Mississippi State does not have rebounding issues, and I think that's giving their guards time to gel. I think the guards are pretty good early. They, they had a lull. They're coming back around. So, again, Josh Hubbard's unreal, true freshman, 22 points. In the first half for Mississippi State the other day, didn't have to score in the second half. So again, if they can continue to get it, if if the freshman doesn't hit a wall, that's a Mississippi State offense that 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 will have enough time to figure it out. Um, Chris Jans had a media avail just before we came on here and started recording around eleven thirty today, and he said that that uh, to. Uh, to uh, pardon me lots of tolus and tulus from mississippi state around the program but but um tolu smith is is starting five on zero drills this week so that's a guy that if they get back for a march or should get back for a march run uh this mississippi state team is certainly one to watch i mean when we talk about old miss being a piece away or or trying to overachieve and get in the NCAA tournament you know maybe a 9-8 game maybe one of these 11 seed play-in games um Mississippi State, I think you have to feel good about being an NCAA tournament team. I mean, they're one of those teams that you flip the coin versus Ole Miss's conversation a little bit. You say, ooh, SEC's coming for Ole Miss. But for Mississippi State, it's a welcome addition because the schedule gets tougher. It's going to enhance uh, your resume just by a matter of playing some of these teams. And Mississippi State's a, a team that's built um, to go get some of these wins. Jimmy Bell, the transfer um, from West Virginia, just an incredible rebounder. He's finding his scoring. Cameron Matthews is a guy that it, it, just a Swiss Army knife can shoot, can pass, can rebound, can defend. He's been there, it feels like, 16 years instead of six years. So, um, look, this Mississippi State team is really good, and I think they're going to be in the tournament. Um, Chris Jans is another one of those guys like um, – like Chris Beard, that gives you a coaching advantage in a lot of games. It's a league loaded with coaches, but Chris Be- or Chris Jans, I should say, um, the dentist, as I always love John Rothstein uh, calling him, is somebody that, again, he's the dentist for a reason. He makes it hard to play that team. So I think that that will not change going into SEC play. Their resume will just enhance. 
Yeah, and I think uh, the last thing I had on uh, on kind of the uh, slate here in terms of basketball discussion was um, for you at this point of the season, what does a successful season or, you know, one that you're happy with look like for Ole Miss the rest of the way? The rest of the way. Uh, getting over that six-win SEC mark. Um if they're at that mark, that's about look. That's it, had Ole Miss football gone eight and four on the on the this the field this past season. Certainly, it wouldn't have uh, Ole Miss fans wouldn't have liked that close to the season. But before the season, a little bit of distance between you and the season, that wouldn't have been a terrible year for this football team. So I think six six wins in the SEC, you cannot fault or or really. Uh, be that upset. Um, this team is one win away from matching their win total last year. Really, I, I've I've almost mentally maybe prepared the tweet that I'll probably never send out, but uh, certainly text our Ole Miss beat writer Michael Katz this during the game. But look, if Ole Miss gets t- the tenth win here in December, which you know, I, I gosh, I hope they do. Um, you look at a team that reached their win total in December this year, and last year in December their season was over. They lost to North Alabama in late December last year, and the season was effectively over. Um, the Kermit Davis tenure that should have maybe been over a year earlier was effectively over that night, that that, that afternoon, I should say. And so um, that's, that's where Ole Miss is a year later. So I think that's remarkable. Uh, getting to six wins wouldn't dampen this season too much for me. Now going to the NIT is – has scars for Ole Miss. We've been there many times off the bubble. So I don't know that any Ole Miss fan is ever super excited to go to the NIT, but I think it's a team that would go and have a chance to, to get to the Final Four there. And, and that's always kind of fun when you can't make that deep of a run the NIT. It's sometimes a precursor to what can come the next year, even though that we live in the transfer portal roster building era. But uh, if they get over that six-win mark, I'll be super thrilled uh, with this team. No matter what that looks like, you know, SEC teams getting injured or, or really the league's makeup over the six-win mark, I would be happy. Um, and and it certainly I think all, all Ole Miss fans would have to be thrilled uh, with, that, with that kind of season. Well, great. John Luke, thanks again for uh, joining me on here. Um, as always, you know, you can find – John Luke on Twitter at JL Grindin. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at uh, D Journal Sports. And, uh, you know, you can always check out our uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss uh, sports discussion groups on Facebook, too. So thanks again, John Luke, for your time because I know you, you kind of have your hand in a little bit of everything around here. So. Yes, no, dude. I, seriously, and I, I've been a big fan of, of what you and James are doing here on, on the podcast in, in recent weeks. And, and uh, the, the Daily Journal is better when, when Justify Your Existence is, is uh, publishing new episodes. And, and you guys are doing a great job here on the pod. I'm, I'm excited to have had a few minutes on here. Really, thank you for letting me ramble in all this open space. But um, no, I'm, I'm super excited. You guys should listen. JYE, wherever you get your podcast, um, djournal.com. You can find your way to it from there as well. So um, keep it locked in. These guys, James Murphy and, and Brendan Farrell, are doing great work for us here. Make sure you're following them on social and, and keep it locked in with djournal.com. All right, and uh, welcome back. Um, I'm joined now by James Murphy. James, say hello. Hello, folks. James, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, things are getting really excited on the recruiting front, both nationally, the transfer portal, when it comes to high school recruiting, and especially here in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, we're kind of getting into silly season here, aren't we? Silly season, transfer season, flip season, call it what you want. It's a fun season. Yeah, well, um, I guess uh, 
I'd like to wish like to wish everyone a uh, merry flipmas in, a, in what a week here. Um, I believe the early period starts on December twentieth, which, if I'm doing my math right, is next Wednesday. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, and should I believe it runs through the twenty second, so right before Christmas. Fun forty eight hours. There's nothing like a uh, very few stocking stuffers beat a uh, you know like a four star pass rusher or something. Yeah, makes Christmas morning a whole lot more special. Yeah, so um, James, I realize it is maybe a little different than what we talk about or we're about to talk about, but you kind of handle our weekly recruiting roundup, uh, tracking kids across, you know, northeast Mississippi and, uh, you know, where they're going and stuff. And um, so anyway, I just thought uh, it'd be great to have you on. Uh, I mean, you're, you're on here as always. But uh, I thought you'd be the man to uh, talk to about uh, some recruiting stuff as we get closer to, you know, the early signing period. Um, and as always, don't forget, you can always find James on Twitter at JS Murphy Media. So, um, James, it seemed like it was a pretty um, hectic weekend for Mississippi State. Definitely was. And I think if we're talking in the realm of Northeast Mississippi, you've got to start with Braylon Burnside. You know, his story was he committed to Mississippi State in June and was locked in until November when he opened up, reopened his recruitment for quote unquote personal reasons. And since then, he has over the process of his reopened recruitment, he's bowed down to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. And he's actually going to make his decision a little bit later than a lot of people. He will be making his on January 3rd at the Under Armour All-America game in in Orlando, Florida. But he did have a visit to Mississippi State this weekend along with a couple of other players, one of whom I believe committed was Michael Van Buren. He was previously committed to Oregon, but they got Burnside back in the building for that one. And there's a couple of factors that I think could make that process pretty interesting. Uh, Chad Bumpus is remaining on the staff and I think that a lot of people believe him being back has a is a really good sign that Burnside will in fact come back to Mississippi State and this time walk in for the rest of the way just in terms of what focusing on Burnside will mean for Mississippi State is obviously you have a kid right in your backyard and being able to secure that kind of talent that close is huge especially for a uh, new rate, a uh, new uh, regime, if you will, under Jeff Lebby. And also, I think him being a wide receiver and I think possibly a defensive back, depending on how things turn out, I think that his playmaking ability is something that is kind of the thing, it's kind of like something that the school, the Jeff Lebby is going to be really focusing on guys who can really do that. Obviously, we've seen that he's brought in a lot of quarterbacks, which we can get to later. And Burnside is a very good symbol of that. So it'll be very interesting to see how that transpires over the next, I guess, three weeks or so. And don't forget uh, that Chad Bumpus is Tupelo's finest. Yep, Tupelo's finest. Yeah. um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how that one breaks out because I feel like that's, I mean, that's that's big time for for State. Yeah, it's massive. I don't, you, you don't want it. It's you don't want another. I think it's AJ Brown situation where you have a guy in Starkville and you let him go to the rival school, which you, I, I again, it, judging from the prediction things that I've seen, like the forecasting things, like twenty four seven and on three, a, a majority of those thinking about it do think he'll go back to Mississippi State. But you know, obviously, you want to do everything you can to make sure that Lane Kiffin doesn't get him. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always the key, right? Locking down your own backyard, especially here in Mississippi, because those two state, like big time state schools are not very far apart from each other. Right. And also being able to, again, we know that Jeff Lebby runs one of has run one of the better offenses in college football at three different places. They have a t- he puts a top five offense in yardage on the field. Pretty much wherever he's gone since taking over as an offensive coordinator at some places. So being able to get receivers, just period, especially the ones in your backyard, it makes it that much more important to get guys like him in the building. Well, if you want to talk about getting receivers in your own, you know, into your building. And, uh, you know, kind of that Jeff Levy offense. This was a big weekend for him in that offense. Yeah, and so Burnside was, as I said, was one of at least seven recruits, including North Panola's J.J. Harrell, and who, who has been very committed even through the whole thing with Zach Arnett leaving and then Jeff Levy coming back in. So as was Michael Van Buren, who was brought in, and uh, Blake Shapin, if my pronunciation is correct, the quarterback from Baylor. You know, it's just been, as I said, it's been all about skill position guys. It's been all about playmakers for what Webby hopes will be a really, really productive and really explosive Mississippi State offense. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of, you know, the one area where you don't really have a ton of concerns about Webby recruiting is sort of, you know, kind of, you know, quarterbacks and finding wide receivers that fit the system, right? Right. And, uh, you know, that's always always key is uh, finding a quarterback because, you know, especially I feel like on a um, kind of year, that, that first year where you're just trying to keep a class together, you know, trying to find a quarterback for that it can be difficult. And, um, you know, you kind of always want to take a quarterback every cycle. So um, especially one in Van Buren, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a pretty solid pickup for them, you know, four-star uh, on 24-7's composite, you know, 13th in the country according to, you know, the composite rankings, 176th overall, right? It's not small potatoes. Not at all, and it's very good if you're if you're Mississippi State. Again, a big thing about this, as I have said on previous podcasts, that the head coach is going to be – new head coach is going to be able to do, in this case, Jeff Levy is to be able to sell Starkville and to be able to sell Mississippi State to new recruits. And, you know, if a guy of Van Buren's caliber is coming, that, I think, if you're Mississippi State, you're looking at that and saying, this is just the beginning. You know, he, you said he was 176 nationally, according to websites, or somewhere in that range. But if you're Mississippi State, you're using that as kind of a jumping-off point where eventually you can get, like, number guys like who are rated around like number 150 number 125 in the top 100 and you can just kind of go from there it's gonna be really interesting to see how the um bulldogs quarterback depth chart shakes out because i am not necessarily all that encouraged by uh who they went portaling for in uh blake shapen uh the former baylor quarterback um if you were to guess where in the transfer portal he was ranked among quarterbacks, like what would you what would you guess? Among quarterbacks, yeah, one in the twenties. You're pretty spot on. Um, he was. I'm looking at on three's transfer portal rankings. He's 26th. Um, you know they have him as a three star in high school. He's a three star transfer. Um. I just uh, thoroughly, I'm thorough, thoroughly, I can't talk. 
I am thoroughly whelmed. Um, so, I mean, they need somebody in there, I guess. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I, I'd be necessarily all that encouraged by that. I think the biggest thing to take away from it is, you know, I think that both in sports and really in life, connections matter. And we know that Webby, what Webby did have experience in the early 2010s at Baylor. And here he is utilizing that to be able to take one of their quarterbacks. And, you know, they are, we are at a stage in the recruiting cycle where, quite frankly, time is not on your side. And you got to be able to make things happen fast. And this is him going back to his old stomping ground, seeing what's there and being impressed with it enough to think that he'll be able to compete. Look, I mean, Shapin had his moments at Baylor, that 2021 season where he stepped in. Um, he was pretty solid. Um, that being said, his first full season, uh, he finished, you know, eighth out of the 10 quarterbacks that qualify in the Big 12 in ESPN's QBR uh, statistic. And in last season, or this season, whatever you want to call it, 2023, at this point, um, dead last at uh 46.9 and i realize that baylor is kind of coming through it right now um but that being said i'm not sure if i'm all that encouraged by that totally understandable any sort of stab where you're doing where you're not completing half of your passes is very concerning and yes there was a lot of turnover at baylor they had some ugly they had some pretty ugly losses even the one i think the one that utah stands out in my mind there were just a lot of games frankly over the past two years that they should have had and didn't for reasons that for an outside viewer may be pretty hard to explain but you know in terms of the player specifically i think if you're lebby you look at that and you think there's something here and I think he trusts enough, and I do feel like he trusts enough in his abilities as a coach to be able to bring out enough to be able to create a very a pretty serviceable quarterback to be able to compete for the job. I mean, like that's fair. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that, you know, given his you know kind of past resume, that you know maybe doubting on uh, his quarterback evaluations is maybe not the greatest idea in the world. Um, and, you know, we have seen. You know, some guys change destinations and totally blow up. You know, Jaden Daniels was fine, but just really raw at, at Arizona State. Blew up at LSU. Graham Mertz was, uh, you know, he, he had his moment singular at Wisconsin. Uh, you know, that nearly perfect game and uh, then was never that good ever again. Uh, played really well at Florida this year, right? I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but um, he, I, I don't know how great I would feel about a potential Egg Bowl matchup of Jackson Dart versus Blake Shaven. Well, I can happen between now and then, and you're right. As you said, sometimes guys go into the transfer portal and shoot up, sometimes go in and shoot down. It's really tough to forecast that until they start playing the games at their new school, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. Yeah, so, you know, plus you, you have, um, you know, at Mississippi State lately, you had, uh, let's see, Tulu Griffin declare for the draft. Yep. Right? Xavion Thomas hit the portal. Two big playmakers. Plus, um, oh, God. Uh, Woody Marks hit the portal, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So your, your, your playmaker depth is not – great that being said um 
It wasn't just a quarterback they landed. It was not just a quarterback they landed. They also got – just double-checking here. We're looking at uh, Mario Craver and uh, San Frisco McGee, which, by the way, San Frisco McGee is a great name. It is a fantastic name, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's got to be encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And just to be able to build that depth. And I the reason I keep bringing up competition for spots – is because when you're a first-year coach, I feel like going in and just saying one guy is going to be their guy, it might be a little tough to build things like depth and, in my opinion, camaraderie, because I do feel like competition in a lot of spaces can build that camaraderie regardless of who's able to get that snaps. And, you know, camaraderie can build culture and one thing can lead to another. Also, through that competition, you really learn what you have and how to utilize it. So, We'll learn more about that in the spring and going into the summer. Yeah, plus, um, you know, I've certainly gotten the attention of uh, Daniel Hill, the running back from Meridian, too. Yeah, definitely. Look, whatever you can get in those areas, just especially in the state, is going to be huge. you got to be able to start in your own backyard and be able to go from there. Well, I mean, I feel like at this point it's been a pretty easy sell job. I mean, you look at the amount of talent that they've had hit the portal or declare for the draft. Um, lots of spots available. Definitely, and lots of areas to get reps and be able to get meaningful college reps in the SEC in an offense that, if it continues to be what it was at other schools, is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, and it's, it's just really – I think I brought this up when we talked about Levy, but it's just kind of funny to me to see um, his recruiting um, like profile on 24-7 because – uh, you, you know, it, it'll sort it by by rate, by rating, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much all of his top um, like recruits are quarterbacks, wide receivers, or athletes. So I feel like that's always going to be the spot where you're going to feel okay about things. Definitely, uh, you got to be able to have. To me, a lot of the best teams in the country kind of have cornerstone positions where this is where they kind of start and go from. Like I'll use my schools for I'll use the school that I root for, for example. Like Michigan's big thing is offensive line and running backs, and the rest you just kind of build off of, and you kind of use that. But as long as you have that core, the point is that as long as you have one core position to be able to go off of, you can be a very successful program. And if Mississippi State can do that with playmakers, they could be in good shape. Well, I mean, I just figure in general. Recruiting wins are good for business. Definitely, especially at those spots. Um, So, yeah, do you have anything on uh, Ole Miss you want to share? Actually, yes. The commitment of Chris Paul Jr., the linebacker from Arkansas, really stood out to me. Uh, He was the number one linebacker in the portal, if you go by on three. And he came from Arkansas, had a lot of reps, and I I believe was one of, if not their leading tackler. Modern defenses in college football on really any level are all about speed and physicality. You've got to be able to get a lot of hats on the ball, and you've got to be able to, real, quite frankly, impose your will in a lot of those moments for a full 60 minutes. And the guys like Chris Paul Jr. can do that. You know, in Ole Miss's case specifically, it brings a lot of stability to the linebacker room where there are guys who are either leaving or considering leaving. Now, you are bringing in a lot. Now, a lot of guys are coming back, like Terry Perkins, who will obviously – have a lot of room to grow and will probably do that if he's trending the way that he is. And another thing is that as the year gone on, at least in my opinion, Pete Golding's offense showed a lot of improvement. You know, there were a little bit of a few question marks early on, but I think as the season went on, they got more of an idea of what they were and how to execute what they were. And I feel like adding Chris Paul Jr. to the mix could be a really good 
piece of that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, after the last couple of years, I think we all know what the strategy is at Ole Miss right now when it comes to the transfer portal. So yeah, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to take in a lot of kids, and they're just going to kind of find a way to figure it out. They will. And another thing that kind of stood out to me was not quite our area, but around the Jackson, the Hattiesburg area, rather. Uh, A.J. Maddox is was offered by Ole Miss not long after the state championships, I believe at this point, two weekends ago. He was the starting quarterback at Oak Grove, who won the 7A state championship. And he is obviously a big playmaker. He's committed to Texas A&M, so they'll be trying to flip him from a fellow SEC school on that one. It'll be interesting to see how that one transpires. I was there for that state championship game, and uh, he was very, very good. Ole Miss saw that and thought, "We gotta. this can't be the last time he plays on this field. I think they're looking at that, hoping that the next time he plays on that field will be in red and blue. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, but yeah, you know, there were quite a few passes in that game where he just, you know, fitted in there or just threw it over, like perfectly over a couple of defenders and straight into a receiver's hands. Like he didn't throw the ball that much, but he was really, really good in that game. Just able to fit it through a lot of tight windows and keep plays alive, or rather, just make them. Period. Yeah, and you know, maybe it won't be the uh, last time that you'll have. Uh, him and uh, Stanka Burnside on opposite uh, sidelines. Yeah, perhaps not. Perhaps 2024. Again, those will be two very interesting uh, in-state recruiting stories to watch as the recruiting cycle goes on. Well, currently as it stands um, on 24-7, Ole Miss has the 20th ranked recruiting class, 11th in the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State, you know, most likely due to, you know, kind of uh, trying to I don't know, just from, like, departures from the recruiting class, from the coaching change. Um, State is currently at 38th, 15th in the SEC, currently ahead of only uh, Vanderbilt. So um, we'll have to see how that breaks down. So, um, And I'm sure plenty will change between now and early signing day. Absolutely. Uh, Again, it's not a ton of time, but – plenty of time for a lot of these changes to happen especially in today's college football yeah um james is there anything else you want to add those are the big things um it'll be really as i said there's still a lot of time for a lot of things to happen uh, whether it be flips whether it be transfers whether it be guys coming in or out and my advice to those listening is just keep your eyes peeled you never know what's going to happen cool um as always you can find me on twitter at bferrell 727 you can find James on Twitter at JS Murphy Media. And, um, you know, you can, uh, if, if you want more of our Ole Miss or Mississippi State coverage, uh, feel free to check out our lineup of newsletters at uh, djournal.com forward slash newsletters, as well as uh, you can always join the conversation with other fans at our Mississippi State sports discussion and Ole Miss sports discussion groups on Facebook. Um, James, thanks again for joining me. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, have a good one.